Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. In the first Sunday of Advent, so welcome to our 11 o'clock service today. Um, During Advent, what we try to do is we try to uh, stick with some of the Christmas traditions that celebrate Advent. Advent. So we're going to depart from our normal uh, approach to going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go through four different weeks, focusing on four themes. And the themes will be hope, followed by love, joy, and then peace. Those are the traditional focuses. In fact, as you light those Advent candles, those are typically what those candles mean. It's, it's a great tradition. I, I do like tradition. Uh, I guess as I get older, I like traditions more and more. Um, but my sermon title today is A Living Hope. And we're going to talk about what it is that we have hope in and why we're supposed to have hope and how our hope is is different than just maybe a a hope that Santa Claus will come on on Christmas night. So I want to take you back to the time of Christ. And I want to paint for you a picture uh, of what it was like in Israel at the time of, of Jesus. We've seen pictures of it. We can kind of imagine it because we've seen so many movies with the Roman soldiers of the centurions, and you can see Jesus and Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, and the star in the sky and the shepherds. But I want to tell a little bit about this messianic hope this feverish hope that the Messiah would be born and why that was happening at the time of Jesus. Why was it that people were flocking to John the Baptist? Why was it that the Magi came looking for he who was born king of the Jews? And why did, why did they come? Well, it had a lot to do with the prophecies, but even more than the prophecies, there were things that were going on that indicated that the time was ripe for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the least of not, of course, the, the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah said this, he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 continues, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forever, uh, forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And this is a prophecy of Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, that the Messiah was coming. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know, the prophets had provided hope to Israel, to the people of Israel. And there were times when they they needed it. There were some very tumultuous times that the people of Israel went through. Whether it was the Philistines or the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians, they, they always had difficulties. And the prophets would come and they would warn them that they need to return to the Lord. That the Lord was their shield, that he was their buckler, that he was their high tower. They could provide protection from the Lord, but they couldn't couldn't deserve the protection. They couldn't expect the protection unless they were living a life that was pleasing to God. Uh, But they also provided hope. And typically with these, they always talked about a restoration of the people of Israel. And they often promised that there would be a Messiah sometimes called a prince, sometimes uh, called, called the son of God, or the, 
sometimes called the son of David. In, in Jeremiah chapter 7, for example, God says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Now, walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But then Jeremiah goes on, he says, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forwards. This is a whole idea of a stiff-necked people, a stiff-necked people that were stubborn, that even though they knew what God expected, they were going to do uh, just the opposite. And as a result, and you know the story, we've talked about it, uh, God sent the Assyrians in. In 740 BC, the Assyrians came in, the northern tribe of Israel was sacked, the people were scattered, and they were, they were taken away. Then about 130 years later, the Babylonians came in under Nebuchadnezzar. And they sacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and they deported the people back to Babylon. This was a, this was a difficult time. You could see why the people of Israel lacked hope. It seemed like everything that they had was, was gone. All they had was the words of the prophets. But here's the thing. In Babylon, along with these, these Jewish people, the ten to 20,000 Jews that went to Babylon and were deported there, there were two prophets of God. Ezekiel and Daniel, two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, were with the people in Babylon. And even though the people had lost hope, both Ezekiel and Daniel had something good to them. You know, Ezekiel is the one that had the prophecy of the dry bones. Remember the, the prophecy of the dry bones? He sees dry bones, and he says, and he says uh, the Lord says, can these bones live? And he answers right. He says, you know, you know, I don't know. And, and this is what the Lord says. He says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and, and you shall live. This is the, the hope that the people had in Israel is even though they were away from Israel, even though their temple had been destroyed, even though they were a scattered people, they still had God. God was still on the throne, which is something I mentioned last week. God was still on the throne. Then God tells Ezekiel this. He says, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land of the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. You know, this is amazing for the people. This is the people in Babylon. They're hearing this. This is better than they had it. Because for centuries, they had two kingdoms. They had this kingdom that we know now as Samaria, but it was the northern tribes of Israel. And they had been scattered, and they went up, and they had nothing but evil kings. They were a divided land. The north and the south sounds like a little bit what we had here, right, with the Civil War. Um, but this had continued, and the people went away. They wondered what happened to these ten nations. But Ezekiel says there'll be a time when there'll be one nation in Israel and one king. You know, the Jewish people had these Old Testament prophets of the Messiah. But remember I said there were, there were two prophets. Along with Ezekiel, there was also Daniel. And I, don't, and I get so excited about Daniel because he's such a great prophet. But remember, Daniel was the one that could interpret dreams. In fact, not only could he interpret the dreams, he could tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was. Something that the magicians and the enchanters and the wise men said there was nobody that could possibly do that. But Daniel knew the Lord. 
And as a result, he told, told Nebuchadnezzar the dream that he saw. He saw this huge statue. Remember that, the dream? And the dream is that she said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. And under that was a, a chest of silver, had two arms. We found out that those arms were going to be Medes and the Persians. And after that was a belly of brass. We found out later that that was Greece, that Greece was going to come in. And after that, there were two legs. Two legs which, of, of iron. They were terrible, terrible uh, empire that would come in. And we know through history, looking back, that that was the nation of, of, uh, of Rome. That Rome would come in and unseat that. So they had this, they had this, uh, this, 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 this prophecy, and they, and they started seeing it being fulfilled. Now, I know some of you, your eyes are kind of glazing. Your eyes are rolling back in your head. Tyler's already dropping off. He doesn't know what we're talking about anymore. I'm giving you 700 years of history, right? in a matter of three or four minutes. And it means something to me, but unless you're a history buff, it kind of goes over your head. But there's a reason I'm telling you this. There's a reason for my madness. And the reason is, is there were four world empires that the Jewish people, that they could expect. Remember, everything is centered around Jerusalem. When they say four world empires, they're not talking about what's happening in China. They're not talking about the Aztecs in South America or Mesoamerica. They're talking about how it impacts Israel. And they were there and they saw the Babylonians fall to the Medes and the Persians. They had already seen that. And now they saw the Greeks come in, and the Greeks were horrible. There was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes that was horrible. He was the little horn that Daniel had talked about. He was a, a terrible man. He, he thought of himself as the reincarnation of Zeus. And as a result, they saw this man, and he was finally defeated, and then Romans came in. The Romans came in. So by the time of Jesus, they had already taken a look and they said, wait a minute, I've got this prophecy. And the prophecy says there's going to be these four kingdoms. And after the kingdom, we can expect uh, the Messiah. Daniel had said that the fourth kingdom would be strong as iron. As iron breaks and smashes everything and as iron breaks things into pieces, it'll crush and break all the others. And they looked out and there were Roman soldiers in their yards. There were Roman soldiers in their forts. They had been defeated by the Romans. And because of this, messianic expectations were at a high point. They expected that the Messiah could be born at any given time. There was, there was good reason for the people to have hope. There was good reasons. They, they believed they had been in bondage before. See, they had been bond in bondage to, in Egypt before that. They had been bondage before. They, had, they saw the Assyrians. They saw the Babylonians. They knew what it was like to be a conquered people. But they knew that the prophets had said there would be a time that they would be in bondage no more. And that Messiah would be coming and they would be setting them free. In fact, this is what it says in Daniel 2.44. After Daniel describes the four kingdoms, this is what he says. He says, in the time of those kings, which means at the time after the Romans, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. See, this is the reason why the people of Israel had hope for the anointed one, for the coming prince, for the one that was going to be like, like David and be able to be born in Bethlehem and be able to rule them. This is why John the Baptist had 
thousands of people coming to him in the wilderness and standing in line in order to be baptized, to, 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 to repent. This is why the Magi came. This is why Simeon and Anna were promised that they would not die until they, they saw the Messiah. This was what was going on in Israel at the time. The people had hope. Now the question was, was their hope reasonable? Well, yes, it was reasonable because it was based on the prophecies of God. The people had seen the prophecies of God be fulfilled. That's why I love prophecy so much. I mean, what better way to say there is a God except to say God is the one that knows the beginning from the end. God is the only one that can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow with 100% accuracy. 100% accuracy. For centuries and centuries of prophecy. You see, there's a difference between reasonable and rational hope and that which is irrational. Unfortunately, there are many people that have irrational hopes because they, they base their hope based on a, on a myth. You know, I mentioned Santa Claus before, but it's, it, but it's more than that. I mean, there's, there's third world countries. There's third world countries that they, they dress their, their sons up, their, you know, their sons in military outfits, and they put medals on their chest, and they give them wonderful uniforms, and they put gold uh, what, what's it called? It's called like uh, uh, braiding on the top. It's called, it's called something. It's called uh, um, scrambled eggs. That's what it is. Scrambled eggs. So if, you have, if, you have, if you're a colonel, if you're a captain in the military and you have gold braiding, that's called scrambled eggs. So they give their young sons all of these beautiful military uniforms, but they've never been tested in battle. And as a result, as soon as the, as soon as the bullets start flying, they take off. You can read the histories of what's happened in the Middle East and the, and the wars. I mean, even with Israel, Israel was surrounded, you know, 10 to 1 by different, different soldiers. But a lot of those soldiers had never been tested before. As soon as you point a, a rifle at them, they take off. There's no hope. There's no hope that they'll be able to survive. This is, but we have a living hope, and that's my sermon for today. And I guess it's time to get to our sermon, isn't it? It's got to be. So... <laughs> My sermon today is called The Living Hope, and it's based on 1 Peter. You have it in your bulletins, but I'll read it to you as well. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'm, uh, you're going to love this. It says this. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. There's the title. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And then he continues, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." You know, I, I love it how the Apostle Peter starts this off. He starts by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a good lesson. Peter learned his lesson. 
because Peter was always the first to say something, right? Even if it was a rhetorical question, he was answering the question, right? I mean, he was always the first to say something, and often he ended up with his foot in the mouth. But he learned as the apostle. Now he's got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's learned as the apostle, now with the risen Christ, how to praise the Lord and to, and to frame his words by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's learned to be a true spokesman. You know, I, I love the Apostle Peter. I, I really do. I guess because I relate to him. I'm kind of brash like that. I, I speak too quickly. I, I say things that I wish later I could take back. You know, Peter was part of that inner circle. He was definitely a leader. It was Peter, James, and John that were invited to be with Jesus at times when the other apostles had to wait outside. It was Peter, James, and John that went up to the mountain and saw Jesus transfigured before them. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are standing with Jesus, and Jesus is all in white. It's, the, it's this transcendent, the, the, the glory of the Lord shone through him, and, and Peter was there to, to see it. You know, but Peter at the same time was like a lot of the Jews. You see, even though there was this messianic fever, all too often the people were looking for the, the earthly kingdom. They were looking for the Romans to be overthrown. They were looking for somebody like David that could draw a sword and be able to defeat the Goliaths in the land. And, and that's not who Jesus came Jesus will come like that. He will come back. But at the same time, that's what he was not going to come at that time. But it was, it was Peter uh, that, that gathered around Jesus. And this was, you can read this in the, in the Acts of the Apostles. This is after Jesus has rose from the dead. He, and he's ascending, into, just before he's ascending into heaven. And the apostles, and Peter's there with him. He doesn't, it's does not quote by Peter, but he's, I'm sure he echoed it as well. Because the apostles said, Lord, are you going to, at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the apostles were still waiting for this, this earthly kingdom. Uh, but aren't you glad that God had a different plan? You see, the Jewish people were God's covenant people. God had a covenant with the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham through Jacob. Not all the descendants of Abraham, but the ones through Jacob he had a covenant with. He said, I'll be your God and you be my people. They were a covenant people and he protected them and he gave them the law. Us Gentiles were on the outside looking in. But aren't you glad? God had a different plan. This is the age of the Gentiles. If you look around the church today, it's a Gentile church. It's typically a Gentile church run by, run by Gentiles. It's, it, it's taken all around the world, and there are literally hundreds of millions, possibly a billion people that call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And that's our living hope. And, and Peter says this living hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why, it's, that's why it's alive. In fact, this is what it says in verse 3. He says, His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this word begotten again is different than born again, but it means the same thing. It means that what it didn't exist now exists. The people were dead in their sins, but because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection, we now have a living hope because he's risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has come into us and made us alive. The Bible says we're now something that didn't exist before. We are a new living, a new living creature because of God's mercy. He's made us alive in Christ. We're born again into a living hope because we have eternal life 
because our Savior has conquered death. Now, Peter calls this the living hope, and I think he calls it a living hope for, for two reasons. One, because it's in, imperishable. It doesn't pass away. It isn't here today and gone tomorrow. You know, flowers wither, the candle flame ultimately fades, the boast of the proud ultimately become silent. But our hope in the resurrection, our, turn, our hope in eternal life and the mercy of God is living. The Bible says our hope can't spoil, rot, or rust because it's reserved in heaven for us. Isn't that great? It's like putting money in the bank where the thieves can't break in and steal. Now, secondly, Peter calls it a living hope because it's based on the living Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He lives today. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us. He's alive. We have hope in something that's alive. Do you remember back in the 19, I think it was the 1970s, the pet rocks? Remember that? How crazy was that? I mean, God bless the company that came up with it and made millions of dollars by selling rocks, but they were rocks. They weren't alive. You can name it Fred. You can name it Joe. You could have it anything you want to. You could put a little dress on it if you want to, but it was a dead, it was a dead thing. It wasn't living. Our hope is in the living Christ because he rose from the dead. Not only did he make us alive, but he's alive today. In verse 5 it says, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Isn't that great? You know, we're kept by the power of God. It's, it's God from the beginning to the end. It's God that gave us Jesus Christ. It's God's mercy that saved us. It's God that gives us the faith to believe. It's God from beginning to end. Faith by the way, faith means that, think about this, you believe something even though you don't see it. That's really the definition of faith. Faith means you believe something even though you don't see it. You know that God is working in us to do something for us, but we don't see it now. We know that at some time in the future we'll see it, but right now we don't see it. It doesn't mean that it's unreasonable. It's rational. It's based on the promises of God and our Bible which has been proven to be accurate over and over and over again, but we, but we don't see it. Verse 6 says this. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You see, Peter knew that it was, it was fine to talk about the living hope. It was fine to talk about the resurrection of the dead. But he had to talk about what was real in your life, and that is various trials. I don't care how long you've lived or how long you plan on living, but you will have trials. You will have trials in your life. If, 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 if there's no trials in your life, how could you say you have faith? You don't even know you have faith until it's, it's tested. I, you know, I, I mentioned these soldiers before that march around in these suits and they have all of these gold and stuff like that. But when the bullets start flying, they're running. They're running. But you know that you have faith when it's been tested. If it's not tested, you're not quite sure. And that's exactly why we have these trials. By the way, that word various trials, do you know what it means in Greek? Various trials. <laughs> that's what it means. It means all different kinds, all different kinds. It's, it comes in all shapes and sizes. It can be about our health, our jobs, our friends, our family, our plans. Literally almost everything you can think of, you will have a trial at some time in. But we have this living hope within us that God will see us through all these trials. And at the end of the day, we're going to be with him in heaven for forever. Now, now Peter tells us something we may not know, that, that God has, has tested and, and purified 
gold. And gold is purified by fire, and there's going to be a, a, a testing of our faith. You know, it's true that during those times of testing, that's the time we pray. It's during the times of trial that you'll pick up your Bible and you look for a scripture. It's during those times of trial that not only you'll come to church, but you'll stick around a little bit later to talk to the pastor or one of our volunteers and say, I'm going through something that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Would you pray with me? That's how our faith grows. It grows through those, those trials. If you have no trouble, you'll have no faith. Bottom line. You don't need faith if you have no troubles. Let's go on. Peter closes with these words. He says, Now, though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, these words translated uh, joy inexpressible occur, occur only here in the New Testament. This is the only place. Isn't that something? Peter's talking about a living hope. And in these words, talking about the living hope and the resurrection of the dead, he says you will have joy inexpressible. You know, right now we're living on this side of glory. We're living on this side of glory. But at some time in the future, we're going to catch up with what's called our resurrected bodies. Our resurrected bodies. Now, this, if you ever heard about this, this is a pretty cool deal. They're, they're no longer prone to age or decay. We'll have vitality that we can call on from any time, any time we want to, to do any kind of work we want to be able to do. We'll be free from sin. We'll be free from sickness, from sadness. It's truly inexpressible. It's indescribable, and it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming, and that's what Peter is talking about. Now, I have a few minutes left. So I want to go back to our history lesson, back to the timeline of Daniel. And I want to remind you why the people of Israel had such a messianic fever, because they had seen the prophecies of Daniel fall into place. Daniel gave this prophecy, this, 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 this statue with some unusual language, a chest of silver, breast of, I mean, a, a belt of, uh, a, a stomach of, of brass, legs of iron. What does that all mean? But then they start seeing it all being fulfilled in these successive nations. They were there when the Greeks came in. In 63 BC, the Greeks were overthrown by the Romans. And the Romans set up camp in Jerusalem at the site of the temple. But now, now, today, we have even a greater hope. Because for every one verse of, that talks about Jesus coming the first time, there are three verses that speak of his second coming. Three to one. We have three times as many reasons to be hopeful of the second coming, of seeing that resurrection from the dead, of seeing Jesus Christ coming in the clouds, of seeing the culmination of all things, of all the things that the Jewish people were looking for will be fulfilled at some time in the future. Now, there are many signs and clues that the Bible has. In fact, Jesus talks about them in Matthew 24. You can kind of go through it. One of the things he says, he says, take a look at the fig tree. When you see the fig tree starting to bloom and to bud, know that that generation, that generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. That, that fig tree points to Israel, and Israel became a nation again on May 14, 1948. 
So I don't know whether that's the day that it starts counting or we take 1967 when, when, the, when Israel occupied Jerusalem. I'm not sure. That's the problem with pro prophecy. Looking in the rearview mirror, we can see 100% 2020. But looking at it as it happens, we're not sure. But just like the Jewish people knew that the time was right for the coming of Jesus, the same reason that the shepherds were excited, the same reason that the Magi came, the same reason that, that Simeon and Anna were promised that they wouldn't die until they saw the Messiah. We have the same hope. In fact, three times the hope that Jesus Christ is coming. You know, prior to, and I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on the the revelation and all the prophecies, but I can tell you this. Prior to the, com the second coming of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a horrible time. It's called the time of Jacob's trial, the seven years of tribulation, sometimes called the first half of the tribulation and the great tribulation. It's called by all different kinds of names. But here's the thing. A number of times in the scripture, it says that the church will not be there. <laughs> we won't be there. You see, the Bible says that there's a restrainer. That restrainer is the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. Did you know that you're restraining evil right now? It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that keeps things in check. Take around. I mean, there's evil in the world. But because of Christians, because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that evil is being restrained. But the Bible says there'll be a time when that restrainer is removed and the Antichrist is revealed. That's what it says. The restrainer is removed and the Antichrist is revealed. That removal, we believe, is at the the appearing of Jesus Christ in the clouds. He comes for his church. Jesus Christ says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will be always and you will forever be with the Lord. This is our, this is our hope. This is why we have so much anticipation. We have a living hope that produces faith that is more precious than gold as refined by the fire. This is a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's soon to be replaced by something even greater. Did you know when we see Jesus to faith, to faith, face to face, we will no longer have faith? Don't need faith anymore. Faith is believing in something you don't see. When you can see Jesus, look him in the eye, be able to sit in his lap, be able for him to call you a friend, be able to be with him. We don't need the faith anymore because we will see him as he is. Our faith will be much more. We, have been for, we will be perfected in faith, and we will be living with him forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.